Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled, The Hope of Sanctification, Part 2, presented by Pastor Floyd Silva on April 22, 2018. Goodness, right? <laughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones, how's that? There you go. See how it comes out better that way? So I got to stick to what I know, I guess, huh? Well, he, he was preaching through the book of Romans. And, and there's just so much there. There's so much depth in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. And he says this as, as he's speaking to his congregation. He says this, and it's in your notes there. He says, we must humbly seek that unction and anointing from the Holy One. For the matter with which we are dealing is beyond the realm of grammar and intellectual dexterity. See, the things that we are talking about right now in God's Word, the things that we're discovering through this book of Romans is, is beyond just a basic understanding. There's some depth to it. And we should allow God's Spirit to lead us and guide us, to help us to understand what God is doing through grace in this faith that we've placed in Jesus Christ. So with that being said, let's pray together and we'll read uh, the first few verses in chapter 7. Father God, we thank you for a new day. Lord, we know your mercies are new each and every day. And this morning, Father, as we come into your presence, we do it in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Father, we open up your word with hearts that want to discover with minds that, that want to know you more, Father. And so this morning we ask by the power of your Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would fill us, and that you would indwell in each and every one of us this morning, that in your presence we would find our, our greatest joy and our greatest pleasures this morning. Father, that we would have open hearts and open minds to hear the things that you want to say to us personally, to me, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the love and for the grace that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, the kindness and the mercy and the goodness that you've offered us. And this morning we come with open hands, with a desire to learn more about you, Father, to more about the things that you have for us. So Father, please prepare our hearts, soften them, Humble us in your presence so that we may discover the things that you have for us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I'd like to just focus in on the first few verses, verses 1 through 6. And there's really kind of a lot in just this little short passage, but let's read it together and then we'll, we'll talk about it and see what God has for us. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, 
you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which, that, to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, the writer here, is, he's given us an illustration to help us to understand that, that we aren't bound by sin anymore. That there's this, this freedom that has been offered from the, the bondages of sin. We're, we're now under a new life. We're under a new power. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. See, God gives us his spirit to work in us and on us and through us. See, what he's telling us here through this picture, it's not about marriage, but it's about our relationship with God. It's a, he's saying that, that this union with sin is over. We've been divorced to that because of the death on the cross. And now you and I as believers, we are united with Christ. We enter into this new life, this new union and I believe that, that we've been given this illustration so that, that we can have a better understanding that we have died with Christ. That we are no longer under this bondage of sin, under this control of sin. That now we have freedom. We have victory. And we are no longer under that bondage. We are free to experience this abundant life that Jesus has promised each and every single one of us. See, Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we experience this new life? How do we change? Well, fortunately, he gives us the application. See, in the, the first couple of verses, he gives us the illustration. And now he gives us, starting in verse 4, the application. And the first thing that we see here is that God works in us. See, God is at work in us. Verse 4 says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to who? Another. To him who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, in order that we may bear fruit for God. See, because now you and I, as we accept this free gift of salvation, we are united with Christ. We belong to God. We are adopted into the family. We are called children of the Heavenly Father. And because of that, God will begin to work in you. See, this means that you are the clay and God is the potter. That God is shaping you and changing you into the person that he wants you to be. I love what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. If you read in Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us that God knew us before he even created. And this is an affirmation of that verse. And he's saying that God has prepared us, that God is, is shaping us, he is working in us, to do good works, to bear good fruit, so that you and I would walk in them. 
See, God is working in us to produce the fruit of his righteousness. It's his kingdom, not our own. See, and these are the things that, that will truly bring honor and glory to God. See, if we want our lives to glorify God, then we have to reflect who God is. We have to allow God's spirit to, to work in us and change us into the person or people that he wants us to be, who he intended us to become. See, God never desired for us to, to live and be under the bondage of sin. God created us to be free. God created us to honor him and to glorify him and to worship him. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. The whole chapter in 5 kind of gives us a, an application of Christian living, how we should live as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it mirrors what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans in chapter 7. And in, in chapter 5 of Galatians, a couple of verses I want to look at real quick. Verse 16 and 17. He says this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another, to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now if you, if you go back to Romans chapter 7 and we're not going to get into it, Paul kind of ends it by saying, I have this tension. I do the things that, that I, I want to do, not that I should be doing. And we see here in Galatians chapter 5 that that, that tension is there. I, I would actually rather say it, it's, it's the conviction of God's spirit in us. Helping us to understand the difference between right and wrong. See, the things that are right are the things that bring glory to God, that reflect a holy and righteous, loving, merciful God. But yet, we have this tension. We have this conviction. And it reminds us, it reminds us that, that we are no longer ruled by the old life. That Jesus died on a cross so that we can have this freedom to live in this new life. And this is simply said is that, that we are no longer controlled by our passions, but we control our passions. How, how many of you guys are passionate people? You know, I, I'm, I don't know that I would call myself passionate. I think there's moments when I, I can be impassioned, you know, but, but I, I do wear my emotions on my sleeve. I, I am kind of a big crybaby, you know. I, I can't watch those mushy movies with my daughter because I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But that's okay. But the variable here that we have to see is that, that we all wrestle through some things that we are impassioned about or impassioned for. And sometimes those things aren't always the right things. Sometimes those things are things that lead us or move us towards sin things that are in opposition to God. We might think they're right and we might think they're okay, but God's word tells us differently. But the beauty of this passage is that we are reminded that, hey, yeah, we might wrestle with things, we might have this tension, but that's no longer who we are. See, before Jesus, we allowed our passions to control us. We allowed those things to move us. 
and to take us to places where God never intended us to be. But now as a believer, we allow God's spirit to control us. We control our passions by the power of God's spirit. And we know when we need to move towards the right things and when we need to move away from the wrong things. And so we have been given this freedom. You know, we can truly say that we are free indeed because of this. We can truly say that we have freedom in Christ Jesus because we are no longer bound by these things. We control them through the power of God's Spirit. Does it mean that we won't be tempted by them? No, we'll still be tempted. What does the Bible tell us about that, though? It tells us if we are tempted, just know that, and I'm paraphrasing this, that God will always provide a way out for us. That there's nothing, there's nothing that this world can offer us that has victory over us. Because you and I, we have victory in Jesus. Amen to that? The power of God's Spirit is in us. And He is at work. He is doing things in our lives because He wants to change us. Well, how does God change us? I believe that, that it's a process. That, that it takes a lifetime. How many of you in this room are perfect? Yeah, thank you for not raising your hand. Because then we have to change the passage and we have to talk about sin in a different way. And, you know, we don't want to go there, right? Not a one of us. See, if we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on a cross. See, if we had it all figured out, if we were doing everything in accordance to God's word and the things that he created for us and designed for us, Jesus would have never had to come. But he did. And he did it because he understood that we were imperfect. He understood our humanity so much so that he came and he lived as a human. He, he lived on this earth and he endured and, and he suffered and he went through and he experienced all the same temptations that, that you and I will experience in our lifetime. But in the process, as God changes us, as he sanctifies us, God works on us. See, there's a difference here between an in, working in, and working on. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So here, here's the question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning before we talk about how God works on us. Here's, here's the question that I want you to ask yourselves. How big is your plank? How big is your sin? Do you, do you see your sin as like, ah, not so big? No worries. Let me focus on my husband's sin or my wife's sin and we'll kind of fix her or fix him or maybe the guy that's sitting, you know, behind me. I, I, I want us to get real here for a moment, okay? Because before God can ever work on us, we kind of have to take a step back and, and do kind of a self-analysis, a heart check, See, because listen to what, what he says is happening here. He says, when we live in our flesh, we pursue these sinful passions. We are aroused by the law and we are at work and our members bear fruit for death. Our sin leads to death. It doesn't bring life. But sometimes, and I, I don't know if you're guilty of this, but I know I am. Sometimes I don't even realize 
my own sin. Sometimes I kind of take a step back and allow God to work on me so that he can work in me. Sometimes I have to acknowledge some of the things that I struggle with between right and wrong, the tension that, that comes into my life into play in specific moments where I deal relationally, where I deal with, you know, vocationally, whether I deal with whatever. See, if you've ever owned a business, this is kind of what, a, it's, a, it's a, a cheesy analogy, but this is kind of, in a business, as a, as a small business owner, you work a lot in your business. That means you wear a lot of hats. You sweep and mop, you clean bathrooms, you do the bookkeeping, you cut payroll, you do all of that stuff. You're working in your business. But if you're only to work in your business, your business won't ever succeed. There's got to be moments in time when you step back and you actually focus on your business. And it's no different than our spiritual life, our spiritual walk. See, if we're just busy doing stuff and moving around and kind of getting stuff done, straightening chairs and kind of being the Mary of the church, then we never allow God to work on us. See, because God wants to shape us and he wants us to mold us. See, it's basically what it comes down to is it's walking the walk. It's the action step. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to kind of rest there for a little bit because there's a few verses. And again, Galatians 5, go back to it. Ephesians 4, go back to the whole passage so you can get the content of what he's saying here. But in the first three verses in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then go down just a little bit there in verse 24. And he says this, he says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, as God works on us, he'll prune away the bad fruit. As God lives in us, he'll ensure that we bear the good fruit. So much so that Jesus said this when he gave us this picture in the gospel of Matthew. Listen to what he said in Matthew 13, 23. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, hears the word, and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. See, we can't just be hearers of the word. We also have to be doers of the word. We have to allow God to work on us and not just in us. As he works on us, he shapes us and helps us to take those action steps to start moving towards the things that he desires for us. You know, it's just simply a saying, stop playing church and be the church. Stop playing being a Christian and actually start living out the life of a Christian. See, what Paul's telling us here in these passages is pretty deep stuff. It's pretty convicting. There's, there's a whole lot here in chapter 7 that reminds us how God wants to, to sanctify us, how he wants to move us towards something and change us and shape us. And he does it, he does it for this very last reason here. So that God can work through us. 
See, God wants to work through each and every person in this room. God wants to work through you, young and old, whether you're a teenager or an older person like me. God wants to work through you, but he can't do that until you allow him to work in you and work on you. See, in verse 6, he says this. He says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which, that which held us captive, so that we serve, here he goes, in a new way. A new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You know, I, I had a conversation. I was the youth pastor before I was the lead pastor here. And I had a conversation with one of my teenagers years ago. And, and I'm going to share this with you because I don't want to point fingers at anybody. But I just want you to, to think about this dialogue, okay? And, uh, and, and, and if it challenges, then, then know it's not me that that it's God's spirit challenging you. If it doesn't challenge you, then, then know that it's God's spirit, not me. But I had a conversation with a teenager years back. She was about 15, 16 years old. And she says, Pastor Floyd, can I, can I just ask you a very serious question? She says, because I'm confused about this a little bit. I'm really confused. She says, you know, I have some people out there that, that say they're, that they're Christians. But, but their lifestyle doesn't really line up with some of the things that you're saying when you talk to us and you share God's word with us as we, we gather together in the evenings as, as a youth group. And, and I don't really understand, like, what, 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 what is going on there? Is it, are they really Christians, you think? Or do you, do you really think they're not Christians? And I, I just kind of stepped back and I said, well, you know, um, it's not my place to judge. You know, that's not, for one, it's not my place to say someone's a Christian or they're not a Christian. But I, I can tell you that God knows their heart. I know that God, God understands the things that they struggle with and the things that they wrestle with. And she says, you know, I, I struggle with that because I, I see their life, but I don't see any difference. And yet you're telling me to come to Jesus because he'll make a difference. So what is the difference? I'm just going to kind of leave it right there for you. I just want to leave it right there for you. Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't have any real great answers for her. Uh, I offered her some encouragement, some scriptures, some passages to help her understand and work through her own salvation like the Bible tells us to do. But I just want you to think about that because we, I think sometimes we forget that, that we haven't given up freedoms to become a Christian. But we've gained freedoms. But what we have to understand is that, that we've given up death. We, we've given up bondage to become a Christian. We've walked away from the things that hinder us and hurt us and emotionally scar us and bring us to a place that, that's just so unhealthy in every aspect of our life. And not only is it unhealthy for us, but, but it's also unhealthy for those around us. You, you, and I don't want this to sound condescending, so forgive me if it does, but do, do you realize that your sin hurts those around you? That it affects others? My, my sin, whatever it is, hurts those around. It doesn't just hurt me. It affects the lives of those around us. 
See, when God works in us and he works on us, he wants to do that so that he could work through us. And he could never work through us if we're not living the new life that he's offered us, the promise of freedom through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But there's an element of surrender. There's an element of lifestyle change that we have to move towards. It's a process. And it does take a lifetime. See, our lives will be changed. We will be changed if we just surrender it to God and trust Him and move towards those freedoms that He offers every one of us. See, you and I, we now serve a new master. We serve the living God. I was reminded this last week that the Word of God is alive and it is active and it pierces the soul. It pierces us. It cuts us like a two-edged sword. And when we hear the word of God, when someone shares a passage or something that convicts us and, and challenges us and brings that tension into our lives, just I please, I, I, I beg of you in a very impassioned way, see it as God's spirit at work in you. And know that God wants to work on you so that he can work through you. See, it's not someone trying to criticize you or to hurt you, maybe. Maybe it's just God saying, hey, there's something I need to do in you before I can do something through you. And he does it for this reason. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for this very reason, simply for his pleasure. So we talk about being on this path in his presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. God finds pleasure in us when we allow him to work through us because he sees what it'll do for those that are around us because God loves me just as much as he loves you and he loves you just as much as he loves me and he loves that guy up the road. He loves your neighbor just as much as he loves you. He loves that homosexual just as much as he loves you. He loves that adulterer just as much as he loves you. He loves that whatever you fill in the blank just as much as he loves you. So when you allow him to work in you and on you and through you, what does it do? It brings God pleasure because he created every one of us with a purpose. See, God, this salvation is the heart of our hope. We rest in it. We trust it. We believe in it. And we move towards it. And we allow God to change our lives. We allow him to move us to the place where he wants us to be. And in those moments when we're obedient and we're submissive and we trust God, God will use us for his pleasure to bring glory and honor to him. Well, I want to close this morning with a passage in Psalm 23. I want you to hear this. I know it's a familiar, we use this at funerals all the time, but I, I think this is an appropriate time for us because we have died to sin. We have been given victory over the bondage of sin and we have entered into a new life. And listen to what it says in Psalm 23 and then we're going to pray together and I'm going to ask you guys to respond to God this morning. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I, I shall, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? As we pray this morning, I just want to ask you to respond to God. However God is leading you, whatever God's Spirit is telling you, I just want to ask you to respond. See, we've been given so much. Our, our cup is, is full right now. God has blessed us and he's shown us his love through his son, Jesus Christ. We have everything that we need. I want to just ask you this morning to come into the presence of God and humble yourselves. Ask God to to search your heart, to help you to understand and know whatever area it is that you need to, to surrender to him, to give over to him. And just remember that, that God will always be with you. That whatever you're passionate about, God will give you even more passionate passion for the things that he has for you. But you have to allow him to work in you and on you and through you. It's a process. God will change us. He'll sanctify us. He'll create us into the, the people he wants us to be. But you, you have to take that step. I want to pray with us and I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to receive an offering this morning. And we're going to give to God. We're going to worship God. And we're going to praise him for all that he is. Father, we come into your presence in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, you know our hearts. You know the sin that we struggle with. We know the things that we wrestle with. We know, you know the things that we've brought with us this morning. Whether it's anger or bitterness, unforgiveness, selfishness, selfish ambition. Whether it's pride, whether it's envy, whether it's sexual impurity, whether it's brokenness whether it's hurt, whether it's pain. Father, you know our hearts. In this moment, we, we, we bear our hearts to you. We open them to you, Father, and we ask that you would take these things from us, that you would wash us and cleanse us in your righteousness, that you would give us the hope that only comes through a loving Savior that died on a cross so that we could be saved from the sin that we've been stuck in. The sin that holds us, that stops us, that hurts us. Father, we bow before you. We ask for mercy. We ask for grace. Father, as we sing this last song, we were reminded that our hope is in Jesus Christ. That we do have hope. That you've given it to us because your son paid a price that we could never pay for ourselves. So, Father, we rejoice in that. We thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness you've given us, Father. 
and we take a step into that new life. Father, we ask that you would change us, that you wouldn't allow us to stay in the place that we are right now, Father, that you would help us to understand the things that we need to work on in our own lives, the things that we may need to release or let go of or just surrender to you, Father, that we would just trust you with that. Father, I pray for those that are here that, that are hurting, that need to be reminded of your love and your grace. I pray for those that are here that, that are, are just stuck in that, that trap that sin brings, Father. I pray that this morning would be a moment that they would, just, they would just turn from that, that they would die to that, that they would pick up their cross and they would walk with you, Father. Or that they would trust you Knowing that it is your righteousness, your hope, your grace, your mercy that will carry them. Even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they don't have to fear. There's no fear in this love that you've offered us, Father. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray that as we come forward this morning, as we lift our hands to you, as we sing this, this last song, Father, and as we give our offering to you, Father, that it would be a blessing and it would be all for your glory, all to honor you as a response for the love that you've given us, as a response for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we do it all in Jesus' precious name. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.